Hello everyone and welcome to Crack Talk. In this podcast, we will talk about our daily life endeavors and philosophical ideas that we might encounter or happen to think about at late night. Today, we'll begin with a statement that everyone needs to hear. No one cares about you. We tend to begin our lives with a deeply unrepresentative experience that of being surrounded by people who care to an extraordinary extent about us. We look up from the dream and confusion of early infancy and may find a smiling face or two observing us with the utmost tenderness and concern. They watch us as a refillet of saliva leaks slowly from the corner of our mouth and they rush to wipe it away as if dabbing at a precious canvas, then indulgently stroke the fine soft hairs on our delicate scalps. They declare us close to supernatural when at last we succeed in pulling our first smile. The applause rings for days when we take our initial steps, giggle, totter, fall, and bravely try to resume our progress. There is astonishment and praise when we manage to form the letters of our name. Throughout the early years, the big people intelligently coax us into eating broccoli or peas to make sure that we put on our raincoat when it's raining. They dance around with us to our favorite song. They tuck us up and sing to us when we're feeling sad or unwell. When we're anxious, they try very sensitively to find out what might be the matter. And it isn't just at home. At school, the best teachers encourage us when we find something difficult. They understand we might be shy. They are keen to detect and encourage the early tentative sign of our particular talent. Our granny is no less kind. She keeps photos of us in her kitchen. She is always interested in our artistic ability. It can sometimes seem as if she doesn't really have a life outside of the day when we come to visit. Even a total stranger sometimes takes a great deal of interest. Quite a few old people have looked closely at us, smile and call us lovely. It was strange of course, but not entirely unexpected either. It is what we come to expect. But then of course, we grow up and are inducted into a horrific reality. We exist in a world of astonishing indifference to almost everything we are, think, say, or do. We might be in a late adolescence when the point really hits home. We might be in a bad seat at the university or wandering the street of the city at night on our own, when it occurred to us with full force how insignificant being we are in the wider scheme. No one in the crowd we pass know anything about us. Our welfare is of no concern to them. They jostle against us on the pavement and treat us as a mere impediment to their progress. 
huge truck thunder pass. No one is going to stroke our head or wipe away our saliva now. We are tiny against the tower and the brightly lit flashing advertising hoardings. We might die and no one will even notice. This, this may be a stern truth, but we make it all the more so by focusing only on its darkest dimension. We remain grief-stricken by how invisible we are, yet we cease to put this bracing thought to its proper philosophical purpose, that of rescuing us from another problem which is gnawing at us all the while, an ongoing and highly cursive sense of self-consciousness. In another side of our mind, we haven't accepted the indifference of other at all. In fact, we know and suffer intensely from just how much other are thinking of us. We are extremely worried about how high-pitched and odd our voice sounded when we asked the waiter for a bit more milk. We are certain that the sales attendant noticed how out of shape our stomach is. The people in the restaurant where we're eating alone are undoubtedly spending considerable time wondering why we have no friends. The concierge at this hotel is obsessing that we are unposh enough and probably won't be able to pay the bill. At work, they are still dwelling on that slightly stupid thing we said last month about the sales strategy. A person we went to bed with four years ago is to this day thinking ill of us in some powerful but undefined way. We don't really have evidence for any of this, and yet it can feel like an emotional certainty. It is intuitively clear that our foolishness and less than impressive sight are being noted and dwelt on all the time by everyone at large. Every way in which we depart from what the world considers to be normal, upstanding and dignified has been registered by the widest constituency. They can tell that we've bumped into doors, split things down all from, misremember anecdotes, try to show off, and have something odd going on with our hair. To liberate us from this punitive narrative, we need to conduct a deliberately artificial thought exercise. We may have to set ourselves the challenge of examining how long we spend on the foolishness of others. How we think and feel about people we don't practically know is perhaps the best guide to the working of the average human imagination. To pretty much of the rest of the world, we are on the very same sort of strangers or casual acquaintance as we know and deal with our own daily experience. If you do that, the result can be surprising. Imagine that we are in a lift, standing next to someone on our way to the 20th floor. They know that we disapprove of their choice of jacket. They know they should pick another one, that they look silly and pinch in this one. But we haven't noticed the jacket. In fact, we haven't noticed that they were born, or that one day they will die. We are just wondering about how long will it take for the lift to reach 10th floor. 
or we see someone that has a small scar on their chin. They suppose everyone thinks that is the result of domestic violence, which make them deeply indignant and close to wanting to return home and hide. But we have no thoughts at all about how they got it. Well, actually, we're just trying to cope with our OVG report. At a party, a social acquaintance explained how they've broken up with their partner. They feel this will be a big news for us. We try to adjust our face in appropriate pose. Was this a liberation from disastrous marriage or a tragic betrayal by someone they were deeply in love with? We don't know. And in reality, we just want to get back to our other friends in the dance floor. In other words, when we take our own mind as a guide, we get a far more accurate and far less oppressive vision of what's likely to be going on in the head of others when they encounter us, which, in the nicest way, not very much. It's not that we or they are horrible. Our lacking of caring is an absolute. If we really saw a stranger in trouble in the water, we will dive in. When a friend is in tears, we are sympathetic. It's just that, for the most part, we need to filter. Our everyday lack of care, a cure for a perfectly sane and forgivable reason. We need to spend most of our waking energy on navigating and doing justice to our intimate concern. And what do I mean by that? Once we had to think about our relationship, our career, our finances, our health, our family, our offspring, our upcoming holidays, our friends, and the state of our household, there will be a very little time left to reflect on the suddenly high-pitched voice of a customer or the outfit of a colleague. We shouldn't merely suffer from being ignored. We shall accept the liberation implicit in the fact that we are being so, and then in turn, we should embark more courageously on the situation, an adventure where a touch of foolishness is always a possibility. The start of a new business, a romantic invitation, a question at a conference. Yes, we may fail, but we can believe with a new certainty that almost no one will give a damn if we do. An idea that may above anything else help to contribute to our success. Something which, as we know now, no one will much notice or care about anyway.